You are listening to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. To learn more about CRCC, including worship times, visit us at crcconline.com. We're going to be in Mark. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to do a very, very, very familiar story as we're entering uh, or in the middle of this 21 days of prayer. Just to set this up, if you weren't here last week, you need to go to the podcast and listen to that. Uh, Mr. David Hyde joined me here last week and talked about this one word that God spoke to him in a very, very difficult time, literally on the, on the steps of death, and one word that pierced his heart, pierced his mind first, and how his life changed. And, and one of the things that we didn't hit last week, just because of, of all the concept that was going on, is, is how much prayer, and you guys praying, and our prayer team played a role as a church in that whole dynamic. And if you are in the middle of 21 days of prayer with us, you're seven days into it, we're reading through the book of Philippians, you say, oh, Mickey, I've missed that, is it too late? No. You're going to do 14 days of prayer. And 14 days of prayer is better than zero days of prayer. Amen? And so grab you a prayer guide. Just jump into it tomorrow. Uh, on, the, on the second Monday there, we'll be on day eight. Uh, but it's an awesome, awesome time as we get into God's Word and, and truly, truly pray over everything. But the concept that I want to kind of introduce you today is, is something I had the, the privilege to be asked to speak to the whole faculty uh, at Bradley Central uh, this last week. And and I talked to them about some leadership principles, and I don't want to get into those leadership principles today, but there was one concept that I'd already had because I knew what we were going to be speaking on this morning that I want to kind of address for us because of where we're sitting. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I have found lately that, and I'm going to talk about me, I'm not talking about you, I don't know if it's just kind of over it, I don't know what exactly it is for me personally, uh, but I'm finding myself almost hitting a point of, of desensitization. Like, like news, corona, election, politics, like shut up. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I know you're like, Mickey, that is not very godly. I didn't say it was godly. I'm just telling you, you know, my kind of warped mind. I'm hitting that point where it's not that I'm overwhelmed, but it's like, like because I don't know, I'm struggling with focusing on all the things that I can't get an answer to. Like, like in the middle of these storms, in the middle of these concepts, in the middle of all this that's going on, and, and it's not a spirit of fear because I know that God has this, but it's just like I'm dwelling on things, the old serenity prayer. Lord, give me the serenity to change the things that I can, to accept the things I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm finding myself... Praying more of like, Lord, will you give me the wisdom to know the difference? Like, I am struggling with what it is that I'm supposed to do because I don't know what's next. I don't know some of the answers. I've had so many people that have talked to me about end times and say, Pastor, will you do a series on end times? And, and the only reason why we haven't done that yet is not because I'm not interested it's because I know what everybody wants to know. You have a question in your mind that if we look at Scripture, that I am not going to be able to answer. Your question is simply this. When's it going to happen? Like, it's not that you really want to study eschatology. You want to know when. Like, let's talk about these birth pains. Let's talk about Christ coming back. Are these things happening right now? Are we closer than we've ever been before? Are we seeing signs that are revealing God's word? 
Are we looking at this one world currency and the possibility of that? Yes. Are we looking at chips being placed in people's hands and wrists and possibly forehead over in Switzerland and other things? that they're? Yes. Is this Bible coming to life? Yes. So does that mean that you know when it's going to happen? Scripture says not even the Son himself, Jesus Christ, will know. This Trinity, only God the Father knows. Not, not even Christ knows. He says, no one will know. And so because of that, I've been reluctant to dive into that concept because I know that, that really what people are wanting is the answer. When? And today I want to try to give you a, a deep breath and to answer one question. So when we're in the middle of the storm, when we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of not knowing what do we do? Like when I don't know the answer, does that mean I stop? Does that mean I quit? Or is there something that I can do? I want to try, that's the key word there, I want to try this morning in the middle of 21 days of prayer to go into God's word and try to get what, what I believe God's given me the last couple of weeks. It's kind of been like, okay, still a little bit like, like being desensitized and struggling and, and ready to be through it. But unfortunately, my body and mentally and spiritually, I'm ready to be through it. The problem is that right now, I'm right in the middle of it. So what do I do? Well, join with me in Mark. Mark chapter 4, a very, very, very familiar story that you've heard several times. And we're going to start in verse 35. And I just want to set the stage with these first two scriptures. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with them, uh, they took with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So just to set the stage, here's what's going on. We've just had the Sermon on the Mount. There is a multitude of people, and Jesus and the disciples, along with other people, along with other people, it says they got in a boat along with other boats. And they said, you know what? There's this huge thing that we've got to get to the other side of it. Like there's this barrier between where we are and where we're trying to get to. And it's called the Sea of Galilee. We're trying to get across this sea. We're trying to get across this lake. Now to give you a little bit of history about that whole area and still happens today, the Sea of Galilee like a lot of your great lakes up around the Michigan area and in the north of the United States, because of the vast largeness of them, it is not uncommon because they are so large that in the middle of this, even though you're just trekking, that all of a sudden a storm could arise. You have a situation where Jesus and his disciples have one simple task. They've got to get to the other side. They've got somewhere they need to go, and there's a barrier called the Sea of Galilee, that's in between them. And just like you and me, they jump on the easiest route to go across this thing, and in the middle of that, a storm arises. And then listen to what happens, starting in verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushions. And they woke up and said to him, Teacher, you do not care that we are about to perish. 
There is so much in those two scriptures that I want to unpack that I think apply to us in our current crisis and in the process of trying to get through this. Because I don't know about you, but right now, 2020, where I'm at is I want to seize every moment, but I also am going to be so ready for 2021. Like 2021, come on, baby. There will never be a new year where I shoot off more fireworks and be more excited than 2021. Amen? Like everything, like... Like we, I mean, think of all that 2020 has been. And, of course, the majority of it has, has been this pandemic. But I look forward to being through the election in November. I look forward to being through this year and praying that all the things that are being talked about and are working out, that God's favor would come back on his country and we would be able to get through these things and look back at this just like the people did in the early 1900s with this huge Spanish flu pandemic and say, man, thankfully, that's over. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, well, but Pastor Mickey, it may never be over. Fair. But I promise you this, with the way we're progressing, we'll at least have answers to some of our questions. Whether it be vaccines, and I know there's 50 million opinions about that, or there'd be different medicines that we can take, and I know there's 50 million questions and views about that. But the reality is, is that we will move from this, like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on, let's shut everything down, to at least knowing how to react and gain control. That's what's happened to these disciples. They jump in a boat to simply get to the other side, and in the middle of that, a storm breaks out. The first thing I want you to notice in these two scriptures, something you need to write down. Where you put your focus, that has a tendency to expand. When you find yourself going through life and you find yourself in the middle of a storm, you need to know that where you put your focus, wherever your focus goes, those things have a tendency to expand. In this scripture, the disciples are literally going to Jesus, waking him up, saying, do you not even care that we're about to perish? Like in Matthew and in Luke, it says that they are frightened to the point of death, like they're worried they're going to die. Why? Because this is what they were focusing on. They were so consumed with the storm that they weren't looking at everything that was around them. I've mentioned this before because I've never preached this message here, but we've done the gospel account out of Matthew. And I don't think it, it's ironic the fact that what they were so consumed with, that they were fearful thinking they were going to die. Jesus was so consumed with it, he was asleep. See, I, I, think, I think there's things that we get so consumed, like, oh, my gosh, what in the world's going to happen? I just don't know. We're going to die. God, do you not care? Do you not what's going on in my life? Like, I'm trying to do this 21 days of prayer, and I'm praying over this stuff, and I'm so worried. And Jesus is like, dude, like, like I, I, I'm like, like, I'm taking a little nap here, a little siesta. Like, dude, just calm down. Give me about five more minutes, and I'm going to take care of this. And I know there's a part of you that immediately when I say something like that, you associate Christ being asleep as him not caring. But don't mishear it. Listen to me. Christ being asleep in this boat 
wasn't that he didn't care. It's just he's the only one in the boat that understood what the answer was. Because when you know the answer, you're not worried. When you have the answer, you're not afraid. When you have the answer in the middle of the trials and the storms, all of a sudden, because you're not focusing on the storms, they start to shrink. And because you now know the answer and you focus on the answer, guess what? They start to expand. Why don't you let that sink in for a minute? In your life, when you're trying to get to the other side of something and a storm arises, you cannot get consumed with the storm. You must understand who's with you in the boat in the middle of the storm. Now, for some of you, whether you be here or online, I know why you're afraid. Because you jumped in your boat and started out to go to the other side and you left Jesus back on the shore. Like you're making decisions in your life and you love the fact that Jesus is your Savior, but for whatever reason, you've not made that transition where he's Lord. Like you're still trying to do the things that you want to do. Even with your 21 days of prayer, listen, I'm not talking about anybody and at the same time I'm talking about everybody. Like we have those prayer guides you go through that has an emphasis every day, but it has some things we pray every single day that we're talking about to invite his presence, to recognize his authority, to have a submission to him. And for some of us, that's the hardest part of the prayer, right? Like we're real good once we get to the petitioning side. Dear Jesus, I want you to help blank, and I want you to help me do blank, and God, I need you to do blank, and God, will you help me do this, and will you give me an answer with this, and will you open up this door, and will you help me go this way, and Lord, I really want this, and Lord, financially do this, and, and God's up there going, wait, 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 I would love to open up my floodgates called my blessings, but you're approaching me as a genie in the bottle and not Lord of your life. Because see, genie is in the bottle is, is where, you, where you rub a lamp and this genie pops out and he goes, what maybe you wish? And the only thing you're consumed with is yourself. You know what I'm talking about. We've seen enough movies. Obviously, genies aren't real. If they were, we would all be looking for lamps. And what would be the first thing we wished? Give me unlimited wishes. You're like, well, no, I've watched the movie. That's the one thing you can't wish. I know. Why? Because all of us are so intelligent. Because the first thing, you get three wishes. All right, number one, give me all the wishes I want. And you know what we would do? We would immediately start asking for things that benefit us and the things that we want. Even if it made others around us inferior or less than. And I believe sometimes that's how we approach God unintentionally. Because we don't let him be in charge of our life, we can listen to our prayer language to him, and we can write down and journal. I encourage you to do this if you don't. I encourage you to write down things that you're praying to God about. Why? So that later on when he answers it, you can give him the credit. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've prayed something, and then God did that, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> what? like, he did it. You know, and he's up there like, well, duh, you asked. Why would I not do it, you know? We have a situation, even this last week, we've been praying for a gentleman who was up in Knoxville, and now he's down in, at, at Duke University, and we're praying for different scans. They gave him a, a two- to three-week, I believe, 
sentence as far as the rest of his life. We started praying. I say we, a big group of believers started praying. Some of you guys were praying because he's been on the prayer list. He's at Duke. They said, man, that's a totally misdiagnosis. Here's what's going on. This guy's going to be great. I don't know what's going on, but God's doing something amazing. And God's up there going, oh, yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, but what's crazy is, is listen, we sit there and get shocked like, you mean, you mean God actually does this stuff? Or maybe you ask it this way. Pastor Mickey, I've been in the middle of a lot of storms, and I've prayed a lot of things, but I've never heard God answer any of my prayers. I have learned what that means. That means you're not asking what God desires for you. I promise you, if you're in the middle of the storm, and God is Lord of your life, and you touch into what he wants in your life, that you can ask, and Scripture says, and you shall receive. But the problem is, is the motives behind way you're asking. See, you're, you're approaching God like he's a celestial genie in the bottle and not Lord of your life. You only come to him when all of a sudden, oh, we're going to die. Oh, my gosh, I don't have enough money to meet the bills. Oh, my goodness, stuff's going on with my spouse. Oh, my goodness, something's happened to my child. Oh, my goodness, something's happened to my family. Oh, my, like, God's like, hey, dude, like, what about when things are okay? But could you imagine, for all the parents in the room, could you imagine if the only time your children came to you is when they needed something? Now, a lot of the parents are going, what are you talking about? That's exactly what happens. Like, I want to sit down and eat lunch and just, like, like, just talk. And at the end of it, get up and clean up the plate and leave and being like, hey, you know what? Nobody asked of anything. Nobody said to do anything. Nobody needed anything. Like, we just, like, like had a conversation. That's what's going on in this story. The disciples have gotten in a boat, and they're focusing so much on the storm that has arise that they're missing out on the answer that's in the boat asleep. Like, because, listen to me, where you put your focus, that will expand. But the opposite is also true. Where you don't put your focus, those things will shrink. See, the more that you put behind you, the more that those things shrink where God can move you forward. But let's keep reading how Jesus, this is so good. So they go and wake up Jesus with a question. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, just to kind of set the stage, we we have the whole story, so this really isn't fair, because it's kind of like you have the answer before the question was ever asked. Because we know that what? Jesus came for what? For life and life more abundantly? He came that what? So that we could have that life. And so obviously we already know the answer. Yes, Jesus cares. Like, do you not just remember the Sermon on the Mount? Do you not just remember all the parables? Do you not remember all the things that were going on? Do you not remember everything that's gathering? I've already started doing a few miracles. Do you not understand everything? Like, do you not understand how much I actually care? Let's go back to a parent. You ever had this happen? 
I'm not talking about my house because this would never happen at my house. But then a child comes up to you and says, hey, can I do something? You're like, well, no, not tonight. And they're like, oh, I never get to do anything. Oh, dear Jesus, help me. You never get to do anything. All of the students down here are like, man, we've beaten him after. Like, as soon as this is over, we're taking the pastor outside. It is beat town time. And all the parents are out there going, oh, yeah, we're going to have a conversation at lunch. Like, I've been waiting for years. But look at me. It would be funny if it wasn't true. And I'm not talking about our kids. I'm talking about our prayer life. But I don't ever hear from God. Are you serious? Like you're wanting God's provision in your life and you don't realize why your car is still running at 200-something thousand miles? Why your tires are supposed to go 50,000 and you've got 70,000? You don't understand why the AC unit's still working. You don't understand all the protection. Like God's up there going, dude, if you knew half of the stuff that I was doing for you every single day, you wouldn't come to me petitioning me for more, 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 more. You would start by thanking me because I've been there and I've done a ton. But what's the issue? We focus on the storm, and it has a tendency to expand. So they wake up Jesus, and in verse 39, and he awoke, and he rebuked. Now, I just want to hit a pause button. I fix to show you what God showed me about three weeks ago. Because immediately you've heard this story, and you're like, oh, yeah, he rebukes the, the waves and the wind. But he actually rebukes two things. Listen to what he does. And he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. That's the first thing. But listen to the second. And he said to them, talking about the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? See, Jesus rebuked two things in this story. He rebuked the waves and the wind, and they got calm. But then he turned around and rebuked the disciples, and guess what? They got calm too. They went from this anxiety of, oh, my gosh, we're going to die, to all of a sudden, like, oh, man, where's our faith? Like, what are you afraid of? Like, what are, you, what are you focusing on? What's expanding in your life to the point that you're fearful, and at that same time, God's in your boat saying, dude, do you not understand, like, COVID, oh, it's a pandemic like we've never seen before. Google that. Go look at the Spanish flu. Go look at the Black Plague. Go look at other things in our history. I'll give you a little heads up. This isn't the first pandemic we've ever had. Hence the reason why there's a word called pandemic. It's kind of like the little warnings on the hairdryer. I always get tickled with this. Don't put it in the bathtub. What does that mean? Some idiot put it in the bathtub. Coffee may be hot when we serve this. Why? Somebody sued them. Said, I can't believe the coffee was hot. The reason why you have a word pandemic is because there's already been one. 
the reason why God talks about storms in his word is because they've always been there. There's never been a generation that didn't deal with storms. There's never been an individual that, that didn't deal with storms. In fact, Scripture in James says, when you face trials, not if, when you, everybody's always had trials. But all of a sudden, a storm pops up, and we're like, what? I'm the only person this happens to. And God's up there going, dude, are you serious? Like, if you studied my story, I was perfect. And yet went 40 days in the desert in temptations. I was perfect. And yet got accused on trial as being guilty for something I did nothing of. I was perfect and brought life to this world, but yet was crucified on a cross. You want to talk about storms. I experienced death and overcame it by the grave. And you want to talk about storms. And he says, and I did all that so that you don't have to focus on your storms. See, for us to get so consumed and let these storms expand is actually for us to take Jesus and make him shrink. See, when you're finding the storms in your life expanding, what you really should realize is what you're really doing is you're shrinking your God. Here's the way he put it. Where's your faith? Do you not have faith? You say, Mickey, what's faith? Well, I, I've given a definition. I've got a Mickeyism de- definition. Faith is the, the knowledge or the conviction that he can. Faith is the conviction that he can. In other words, I know that he can. It's just that I have to hope that he will. Like when I pray, I don't pray going, boy, I really hope he can do that. Man, I know he can do it. Like when I pray, I pray knowing that God can do whatever God wants to do. He has all, Lord, will you do blank? And then I leave there, not with, and if it be your will. No, I don't have to give him a way out. I leave there with a hope that he will. Pastor Sam and I have had many conversations about God and the Holy Spirit and, and the way that works and the concepts of the Holy Spirit and the way he reigns in our lives. And it's so funny because here's what most people's issue is. Because they've never experienced the Spirit, they don't know how to deal with it. And because you've never seen God move mightily in your prayer life, then you have to discount everybody else's prayer life. And today, what I want you to know is that if you'll quit focusing on the storms and you'll start focusing on the answer of Jesus Christ, you will be surprised at how quickly, not only will he calm the storm in your life, but he'll calm you. Here's what I wrote down. When we change the concept of what we focus on and we recognize God's power, three things are going to happen. Our prayers are going to change. Our faith is going to strengthen. And our obedience becomes easy. Can I say that again? When we start changing and truly recognize how powerful God is, There are three things that will become evident in your life. Your prayer will change, your faith will be strengthened, and your obedience will become easier. I I heard a pastor who who had a little quote on, on Instagram. His name's Chris Hodges, and he said this. Prayer 
is not just communion with God. It's also confrontation with the devil. Prayer is not just communion with God. It's also confrontation with the devil. Do you know why you have storms in your life? It's not because of God. Like, you know why people die? So, yeah, because their time's up. Be careful what you say. Scripture says it's the wages of sin that's death. God was the giver of life. You know why people die? Because of sin. Do you know why there's storms? Because of sin. Do you know why there's disease? Because of sin. Do you know why there's thorns and thistles? Because of sin. In fact, everything that has a negative connotation directly goes back to sin entering this world. Don't put that on God. But be willing to confront the devil about it. Call him who he is. You're a liar. You're a thief. You only desire to steal, kill, and destroy. You're the king of doubt. And I refuse to allow you to play storms in my life to get me off track and to get me focused on anything other than Christ. My focus, no matter what happens, all hell could literally break loose in my life. But that's not going to define me. My circumstances don't define me. My God defines my circumstances. No, that's not God up there saying, well, I just, I just want to give him a little bit of this to teach him. No, God is up there saying, run to me. I'm the answer. I will stand up, and I will calm the storm, and I'll calm you, and we'll kick his tail together. Because I've already done it once. Like, it's already done. At the end, I'm taking him, throwing him in the abyss, putting a lid on it, in my new heaven, in my new earth, and we will reign forever together, and we will celebrate. And there will not be any more storms. And we won't try to get to the other side. It'll be eternity forever and ever and ever with me on my throne, with me with my people, the way I originally intended to be before Satan comes slithering in the garden and made you be deceived. But what's the issue? Just like in the garden, he's still trying to deceive you. And don't mishear me. Yes, God is the ultimate authority. And Satan can't do anything without God's permission. But God's authority over everything does not mean that everything comes from him. The storm that's in your life was been put there other than God, but God has a way of bringing you back. Here's the last thing I wrote. You know, one of the concepts that you need to understand is that everything that you want is outside of your comfort zone. Do you know why we hit storms? Not because God's up there going, well, I just need to teach him a lesson. No, it's because of sin in our life. But one of the things that's great about storms is if we'll focus on the right thing and let those things expand, then God has a way of teaching us something major because 
The things that you truly want in your life are outside of your comfort zone. You say, Mickey, why do you say that? Because you're very capable. If you could get them, you would have already gotten them. If they were in your comfort zone, you'd already have it. Think about your life. Is there ever a time that something was in your comfort zone that you wanted that you didn't get? But yet we want to stay there, don't we? We don't want to be stretched. We don't want to be pulled. We don't want to deal with storms. We want everything to be perfect. Butterflies and rainbows. And a storm comes and we go, what are we going to do? I'm fearful to the point of death. And Jesus is up there going, oh, my bad, hang on. Stop. Be calm. Storms will reveal who you really are and who he really is. Storms are going to reveal who you really are and who he really is. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to experience other talks, visit us at crcconline.com.